0: This is a Crestview Bible podcast. For more information, visit CrestviewHutch.org. I thank you so much for uh, your prayers for us, uh, our trip to South Asia, leaving tomorrow evening. That's why I got my uh, India garb on. I got my um, India sandals on. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm not packed, but mentally I am there. Uh, I, I just, just sitting there, just thinking um, and singing and thinking of why we are so passionate to go there, why, why we care so much. And it's just singing about Christ, singing about Jesus. It's the love of Jesus that controls us. It's the love of Jesus that compels us to want to go and tell uh, those who have never heard about him uh, before and to fuel the church there, um, to equip them, to serve them, to go and reach, the, that, to hear that story of a Savior who loves them. And um, So that's my passion. That's, that's our burden. That's our family's burden uh, to go there. And I want you guys to join and partner with me. i um, be praying for uh, the South Asian church. So uh, would you do that with me? Like I said, we're going to be in Job 33. If you need some notes, there's some at the back. I'm not going to be disturbed if you uh, go grab some if you need to. Um, but the 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 sermon is going to be the message is on being an effective and gracious counselor. If you see that in your notes, it's the, the effective and gracious counselor from Job 33. And I was thinking this week, um, thinking of the the best opening illustration because you know I gotta I gotta hook you guys. I gotta get you um, going. I gotta get you a reason to listen to me. And so I always labor on what is the best opening illustration. And I I couldn't think of one. Couldn't think of one. I went to Julie yesterday and I'm like I can't. Think of one. It's Saturday afternoon. Um, the, t- talk, the clock is ticking. And uh, she said, like, Well, what, let me help you think. And I said, Well, I'm, I'm trying to get one where it's like maybe a lighthearted thing about uh, somebody who uh, tries to be a good counselor for those in suffering and just keeps failing over and over again. And, and I'm just I'm stuck on what to do. And uh, she goes, Well, we can tell some stories about you. Um, I was like, <laughs> That'd be great. Um, so I was like, well, I, I thought about that. I said, I would love to put myself under the bus there and, and share about my own um, stupidities there, but I just can't think of any. And she's like, ooh, she's wet in her beak. She's like, oh, believe me, I got some stories. And I'm like, I don't there's no stories about that. And she proceeds to remind me um, of a few times, and I can't believe I'm sharing this. You guys, I, I, you guys are like, I'm, I'm, if, if I'm here in your book, I'm going to be taken down a few notches. So I can't believe I'm sharing this. Well, when we were, when we were first dating, um, uh, she would sometimes in the stress of college and things like that she would just get overwhelmed with the stress and she'd start uh, tearing up and crying she, as we're sharing and things and she'd start tearing up and crying and I was like I, I can't handle this I'm like stop please stop crying whatever you do just don't when I see that first tear I'm like just stop please stop please stop I'll do whatever you want I'll do what I'll, I'll just I'll move the world I'll do anything you want and uh, she was really gracious she could have really manipulated me at those points uh, but she was gracious she didn't do that um, I that was dumb on my part. And then uh, she told another story about one time she was pregnant, and uh, it was pretty exhausting for her. She was really, really tired, tired in the distance. It was like, I can't, like, can't be awake. Like, I just can't keep my eyes open, and I just have no energy. And um, the great husband that I am, I said, well, you just, you need to exercise more. That would be the best solution. I, I'm always running to, like, the best, like, the, let's get to the, the best thing. And Um, So she's like, and for some reason she listened to me. And so she goes to the apartment uh, fitness center and like works out for half an hour and is exhausted, even worse than she even started. And she's like, why did I listen to you? Uh, I am not a very good counselor, Um, even just like, uh, I feel like just a few weeks ago, we got into... um, a disagreement, not an argument, a disagreement. And uh, I was quick to be like, all right, we can do this. We can solve this way. We can, we, can, we can do this differently. We can do that differently. She's like, no, I don't want you to solve. I just want you to listen. I'm like, ah, crap. Um, so I'm, I'm coming to you, I guess, as a guy who's like, I don't have all the answers. So you're like, like oh, being a Gracious and effective counselor, you—you you must be one. And I'm—that's uh, not what it is. I'm not coming to you with my great advice. Uh, I'm not a sage at this. Uh, what I'm doing is I'm just opening up God's word and showing uh, God's word to you. That's—that's that's what a preacher is. Um, and so, this is—I'm really unqualified um, to speak and explain um, this thing. But that's what I'm trying to do. I'm going to try to apply God's word uh, to our lives. And I say our lives, because it's, it's me there. I, I'm, I'm staring at the man in the mirror, um, Michael Jackson style. I promise I won't sing that. I could dance it, but I won't sing it. Um, I'm staring at the man in the mirror. So. Um, being an effective and gracious counselor. So if, you, if you've if you been following along with us in this series of Job, uh, we've had three themes in this series. Uh, one is just the unexplained suffering um, that we experience in life. And then uh, we want to point to how the church can come alongside those and equip the sufferers. And then we see Jesus. Uh, we magnify Jesus um, through the story of Job. And um, hopefully begin to see that. hopefully you've been seeing that every week throughout this series and, and 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 we've been encouraging you uh, to be sensitive, to be thoughtful, to be tactful, to be aware, to be non-judgmental towards those who are in suffering. And so as we continue on, as we've been in here for six, seven weeks now, um, my my fear is as we keep pressing into that and equipping you to be good counselors, my fear is that uh, we we, we can now get paralyzed in, now what do I say? What do I do? Uh, I I don't want us to to not do anything. Um, we can we don't want to say the wrong thing. We don't want to do anything that results in further hurting someone else. Um, we don't want to be one of Job's friends. Um, we don't want to say idiotic stuff. It's it's kinda like that, that moment when you realize mid-conversation that you have bad breath and you're like oh, and you want to like stop the conversation, you would put your hand over your mouth and you're like, I'm I'm done here, right? So maybe some you're thinking of that like in our Job series, like, oh, I say some pretty stupid stuff, maybe I just won't say anything at all. That's that's not what we want to do. Uh, we, our, our goal of the book is, is not for you not to do anything or not to say anything, but rather to be effective, to be a helpful in saying things. So what, what is it? What can we say? Um, or maybe you might be thinking, when I'm in suffering, is there a hope that others around me to be truly helpful, to say something helpful? Those in pain don't necessarily want silence sometimes. They want... They, they're, sometimes they're reaching out in pain, asking questions, wanting real answers, someone to speak into their lives. And the same thing with Job, right? Does he have a comforter? Does he have a friend that can actually help? His three friends in these previous 30 chapters have been worthless, and God verifies that and in chapter 42. They are worthless. Um, and so this, but the book doesn't end here. We got, we got one more friend. His name is Elihu. So Elihu enters on the scene after Job, at the end of 31, he says, I'm done, I've finished my speech, Um, I'm innocent, I've said all I can say, God's not fair, I demand some answers, um, but Job's three friends can't solve his problems. They couldn't convince him, so here's Elihu. And who is Elihu? Well, in chapter 32, he introduces himself. It's this long introduction of who I am and what I'm about and what's my message. And uh, so we see this. He's a young guy. He's angry, angry that Job is so brash at questioning God, and he's, he's been there the whole time. It's not like he's just now stepping in, but he's been there. He says, I've, I've listened to everything. I've wept with you, uh, but now is my chance to speak. And he just couldn't stay silent. He had to say something. So is, is this Elihu, we're going to look, is this Elihu, is he the comforter that Job is finally looking for, or is he just like the others? And really, with Elihu, we're kind of caught in this quandary. Okay, so he's, in some ways, he's just like the three friends, nothing different. Um, but in some ways, he's kind of like a prophet who's speaking on behalf of God. So, for example, he's, he's not condemned by God in the end. The other three friends, they're condemned by God, but not Elihu. No one answers Elihu at the end of his speech. Only God answers. Um, he, he does have a different take on Job's sufferings, than the other three friends do. So Eli- Elihu says things also that are um, somewhat different, and, but also he says something very similar to God's speech immediately following in chapters 38 to 41. So is Elihu the primer for God's speech? And he, the problem is, okay, so we could think that, okay, yeah, Elihu finally has the answers, but at the same time, we're, after we read his six chapters, 32 to 37, we, we're still left, like, if I'm Job, after listening to Elihu, would I be comforted or would I still feel worse? So we're torn. What do we think about this guy? Well... I think that Eli- Elihu's inclusion here is to show us that there, there's another way. We don't have to be paralyzed by uh, what to say to those in pain. Now, it's, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be great. You're not going to be uh, you yourself. You're not going to be the perfect counselor either. Understand that you're going to get it wrong. But, of course, we want to pursue the best. We want to think of the other for- person. But at the end of the day, your confidence And the answer to a person's suffering isn't going to be you. It's not going to be you to solve their problems. It has to be. God has to say the last word. And that's where my hope is. And I love that this book ends on God's words and not on someone else's words. So this is, I think, that Elihu is probably the closest attempt at good advice, but it's still, even that has its faults. So So there's some things that we can learn here. And so that's why I want to dive in. I want to look at some of the the skills, some of the principles that we can grab from Elihu uh, in being an effective and gracious counselor. So 1st let's just read. Let's just read all 30-plus verses. I think it's like 33 verses of of Job chapter 33. So read along with me, starting in verse 1. But now, hear my speech, O Job, and listen to all my words. Behold, I open my mouth. The tongue in my mouth speaks. My words declare the uprightness of my heart, and what my lips know, they speak sincerely. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Answer me if you can. Set your words in order before me. Take your stand. Behold, I am toward God as you are. I too was pinched off from a piece of clay. Behold, no fear of me need terrify you. My pressure will not be heavy upon you. Surely you have spoken in my ears, and I have heard the sound of your words. You say, I am pure, without transgression, I'm clean, and there's no iniquity in me. Behold, he finds occasions against me and counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks and watches all my paths. Behold, in this you're not right. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend against him, saying, He will answer none of man's words? For God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. In a dream and a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men while they slumber on their beds, then he opens the ears of men, terrifies them with warnings, that he may turn aside from his deed and conceal his pride from a man. He keeps back his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. Man is also rebuked with pain on his bed and with a continual strife in his bones, so that his life loathes bread and his appetite the choicest food. His flesh is so wasted away that it cannot be seen, and his bones that were not stick, were not seen, stick out. His soul draws near the pit, and his life to those who bring death. If there be for him an angel, a mediator, one of a thousand, to declare to him what is right for him, and he is merciful to him and says, "Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Let his flesh become fresh with youth. Let him return to the vigor, the return to the days of his youthful vigor." Then man prays to God, and he accepts him. He sees his face with a shout of joy, and he restores to man his righteousness. He sings before man and says, I have sinned and perverted what is right, and it was not repaid to me. He has redeemed my soul from going down to the pit, and my life shall look upon the light. Behold, God does all these things twice, three times with a man, to bring back his soul from the pit, that he may be lighted with the light of life. Pay attention, O Job. Listen to me. Be silent, and I will speak. If you have any words, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify you. If not, listen to me. Be silent, and I will teach you wisdom. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that you teach us, you guide us, you equip us, you give us these words of eternal life. Um, so would you continue to equip us? Would you uh, open up our eyes to see the beauty in your word and let it, let it point to Jesus? Uh, let, it just, let the residue of Jesus be on um, this text, and we pray this in his name. Amen. So we see the first skill. The first skill is to reiterate your love in verses 1 to 7. And this is an overflow. This, this first seven verses are an overflow from chapter 32 when Elihu is trying to convince Job to listen. So yes, he's angry. He says it several times in, verse, in chapter 32. He's angry that Job is being left unanswered. And we'll get to that later. But, but first, listen to the language in this introduction. Elihu wants Job to know of his love for him, that he cares for him. So in your counsel, in your words to someone in pain, reiterate your love. Let them know that you love them, that you're not against them, that you're in their corner, they're not alone, that you love them. And how do you do this? Well, Elihu says, I I speak sincerely, verse verse 3. What is coming out of my mouth is from a heart of sincerity. Actually, it's it's like actually believing that the words that you say, not just flattery, not like a, I'm sorry that your child seems out of control and you're powerless as a parent to control him. must be so hard. Right? That's not... It's not sincere words. It's just flattery. People can tell when you aren't being sincere. I remember when we first came back from South Asia, Phil was documenting that earlier. We came in a rush. We had 24 hours to be out of the country and no time to kind of even process any of that. We come into this body, and you guys were, you guys were sincere in your love for us. You welcomed us so well. And so we felt that. We knew that your love was sincere. And then he says in verse 4 that he's empowered by the Spirit. You know, sometimes we have no clue what to say. Sometimes we have no idea what to say. In my case, it's almost every time. Uh, But for those that are in Christ, we have the Spirit that is at work in us. And we can be confident of the Spirit's work in us. Because in John 17, the Spirit is called the Comforter. The Comforter that comes to us, who comforts us. So if he comforts those in affliction, would he not also equip you to be comforters? So be sensitive. Be sensitive to his leading. Be sensitive. Say a quick prayer as you're going into these conversations before you approach someone. And then in verse 6, he's empathetic. He's not condescending. He's empathetic. He says, I, I, I get it. I'm just, I'm like you. I, was, I too was pinched off from a piece of clay. I, I get what you're going through. I understand it. Now, I, I want to be careful with this sort of advice because we don't want to say to someone, hey, I, I know, I, I get it. It reminds me of a time when I went through this and my experience was this and you launch into your own story, right? So, so don't just let it platform you to tell your story. Let them tell their story and listen well to that. But you want to do that in an in a incarnational way, sitting with others in the, in the muck and the mire of their situation, not lording it over them. And then last, in verse 7, he says he, he communicates his heart, right? He, he says, my pressure is not going to be heavy upon you. You don't need to be terrified of me. Come to the person and say, I, I want you to know my love for you. I say these things because I love you. Because sometimes things need to be said. And, and we'll get there, but first, we need to listen well. And that's the second skill. So we need to reiterate our love to those in suffering. And then we need to be, uh, we need to be listening well. This is verses 8 to 11. Uh, I was told when I was a kid, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason, son. Uh, Stop your yapping, right? Because I have a problem with talking too much. Um, So spend time, like shut your mouth and spend time listening and hearing their story. But be sensitive. Be sensitive to the relationship that you have with that person. Don't, don't be the, the weirdo that's like, hey, tell me your goose, juiciest secrets, like out there in the lobby, like afterwards. Be like, hey, tell me everything that's going on. And you're like, who is this guy? Um, but you want to you wanna be listening well, observing of the, of the relationship that you have with that person. Um, it, have you ever been in a, in a conversation where you can just tell the other person is like waiting to get their words out? Like they're just like, and you're like you can just tell that their their mind is elsewhere and they're just waiting for that to give that response to you. Don't don't be like listen well. Ask good questions. I love it when people ask me questions about South Asia, my time there like what did I like and what I didn't like? What do I miss? Uh, how can we learn from those in South Asia? How can how do we how are they doing over there to to deeper questions like Man, what, what emotions stir up in you when you think of South Asia? So this is um, asking good questions, re- reiterating their hurt. You can see that in verse nine, uh, Elihu says, "You say these." He's actually quoting Job's words from previous chapter. Just cross-reference that. I'm not going to get into that. But he actually quotes Job's words here. So reiterate that. Don't be shocked. Don't be scandalized about what they might say. Because he says, Job says some pretty bold things in verses 10 and 11. People are going to say outlandish things and make us want to take a step back like, whoa, that's a little bit weird. Uh, but don't, don't do that, right? Don't have that posture. Like we've said, like we've said before in Job, don't be quick to correct. But, but there is a time when we need to correct. While patience and tact is important here, what they're saying shouldn't just go unchecked sometimes. So that's that's the third skill, is to be gently correcting, verses 12 to 22. Gently correct um, those that are... That's a a gracious and effective counselor. And this is where Elihu gets a little harsh and where people think that Elihu is just more of the same, more of Job's friends, which in some ways he is. He comes on strong probably a little stronger than I would have. But Elihu, as we've seen, is, is concerned for Job, concerned for his brother. And yes, what Job has said, it's, it's not good, that God is unjust, he's aloof, God's crazy. And there are times that when that correction is needed in order to, to warn a friend of a path he might be headed down. And there's one key factor, I think, that's, that's different in Elihu's correction as opposed to Job's other three friends. Um, one commentator says it like this. He says that the, the friends that, Job, that, that the friends said that Job was suffering because he had sinned, but Elihu says that Job has sinned because he was suffering. So to, to rephrase that, the friends are saying, hey, look, the reason your, your, friends, your, your family has died, that you've lost everything, the reason that your health is gone is because of some sin before all that that you didn't repent of that you need to repent of. And once you do that, it'll be restored to you. Elihu is not, he doesn't go there. He says it's the other way. He says, well, yeah, I'm not going to blame your suffering on your sin, but as you're suffering, you're saying some wrong things. You're saying some sinful things. You are blaspheming God. You are coming before a holy God saying some um, crazy stuff about him. And that, That's what needs to be corrected. So we can, and we must, remind people of the goodness of God, his care for them. We must remind them of his character, what Jesus displayed for them on the cross. There is a time for correction. These things, these claims against God should not go unchecked. So yes, in the midst of grief and pain, some of those comments will be there. But the question is, do those thoughts, are they lingering on for weeks, for months, for years? So let's think through this. There's some factors that we need to think through this as we consider correcting someone. So what's the timing, right? Like I said, is it is it three days after their ten children just died, or is it three months or three years, at three decades after that? What's the timing? Think about your timing. What's the relationship that you have with that person? right? Um, is this person coming to you or are you going to that person? Hey, I heard from this person that you said to this person that about this about God, I need to correct that. It's probably not, you see, Elihu is present. He's been, he's been walking with Job through this whole process. He says, I've been waiting to speak. I've been hearing you out. He's, there, he's present there. Another factor is demeanor. It's content, right? Um, it's what. Are, how are you saying it? Are you saying it in a, He's a great God, the mighty king, ruler over everything. Sorry, that's Carmen. Um, 90s Christian, if you know that. Um, So are you coming with with that demeanor? Or are you coming gracious? Are you coming saying, man, I love you? Reiterating your love for that person. And then, so what is Elihu saying? What is he, how is he correcting him? It says that, he says God, verse 12, that God is greater than man. God knows what he's doing. And this reflects God's words later on in chapters 38 to 41. And Elihu will expand on this later in his speech in in 36 and 37. He says that God works in a couple of different ways. Verse 14. Will we listen to God's gracious and loving voice through these two means? The first means, verses 15 to 18, is through our conscience. He calls it visions and dreams and as we slumber and as we sleep, but I think a better way to, with our, our terminology would say through our consciences, a guilty conscience, knowing that we need him, that we are broken, we are helpless without God, that we are headed to an eternity with Him without him apart from Jesus Christ. And then he says there's a second way that God speaks in verses 19 to 22, and it's, it's through our suffering, it's through our pain. It's to remind us that it is him, it's in Christ that we, have, that we live and move and have our being. That Jesus holds the whole universe by the word of his power. Do we remember how frail we are? In our blessings, we kind of have a tendency to forget God. So God uses this, this loudspeaker of suffering to remind us of our need of him every day, every minute. It's a gracious act to prevent us from pride, to prevent us from the blinders of self-reliance. You know, many in in South Asia, they've uh, come to to have faith in—it's difficult for them to have faith apart from suffering. Many of them come to faith through suffering. Uh, those in the, the high caste, they think, hey, these gods have served me well. Look at this, this empire that I've built for myself. I don't need Jesus. This, this idea of it's, it's, more, it's more possible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to the enter of the kingdom of God. It's hard for them to see their need for the Lord. Sorry for all my, you can tell what's on my mind. I'm going to South Asia tomorrow. So sorry for all the illustrations of South Asia. So at this point, we, we see that, all right, we need this rescuer. We need him. Who is going to rescue us from this, this pit that we've dug and that God has shown us through consciences, through suffering? And that's the last point of being an effective and gracious counselor is to bring them to Jesus. You have to bring them to Jesus. This is right here. This is the climax that you need a rescuer and God provides us one. Verse 23, who is this rescuer? It says, someone were to come to him. If there were to be for him an angel, Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus is far superior to the angels. To whom, any of the angels, did I ever say, here's a footstool for your feet, for your your enemies. These enemies are a footstool for your feet. Two of the angels that he said, this is my son today, I have begotten you. So many of the He is so far superior to the angels, Jesus is. It says that he's a mediator, Jesus Christ, one mediator between God and man, not just a mediator, but the mediator. It says that he's, this angel is going to be a one of a thousand, one of a thousand. John 3.16 says that he's the only begotten son of God. He is unique. He's the only one. And what does this rescuer do? Verses 24 and 25. He's merciful. Isn't that what Jesus said? Come to me, all who are weary and overburdened, and I will give you rest. It says that this rescuer will be a ransom. Jesus says, I didn't come to serve, but to be served. Sorry, I didn't come, I came to serve, not to be served and to give my life as a ransom for all. Your life is not ransomed by silver or gold. It wasn't paid by monetary value. It was paid by the blood of Jesus Christ, his life given for you. He not only, Jesus not only sits in the mire and the muck with you in suffering, he goes to the death for you in your suffering to rescue you from the pit of hell that we are headed to. Yes, we have this rescuer that Elihu points to. He doesn't know it yet, but he knows there is this rescuer coming, and his name is Jesus. And what does this rescuer invoke in us? Verses 26 to 28, prayer. This, 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 the door is made open to God for sinners and sufferers because of Jesus. We are given acceptance. When God sees us who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, God gives us a shout of joy. It's never reluctance when you come to Jesus. It's never reluctance when you come to him. No matter what you did, no matter what you say, no matter what names you have called him in your suffering, when you go to him in faith in Jesus' righteousness for you, he is so happy, he is so overjoyed, he is shouting with joy over you. Our flesh likes to think that God is somehow stewing mad in impatience. No. He's like the dad who this perfect dad, who is so happy that his son and daughter came and sits on his lap, and even if you slap the dad on the face, he still leans over and kisses you on the cheek and says, "I love you, my son. I love you, my daughter." He gives righteousness. He gives restoration. The the relationship is now repaired. It's now healed with God. And this results in praise. This results in a testimony of praise. He says, I've got to tell everyone about what's happened to me in Jesus. This is why we sing. It seems so crazy that we would come together. What kind of a group comes together and sings every week? It's so And it's, sometimes it doesn't always sound so great, but we come and sing. Why? Because our hearts are just so overfilled with praise. We have to sing. We have to sing because of what Jesus has done for us. We are the, we are the ones who are so overjoyed at what their King Jesus has done for them that our hearts just burst out in singing and praise to our God. And this is all God's work. Look at 29 and 30. Bego- behold, God does these things. God does it. This is God's purpose, our redemption. God never strays from his goal of pursuing after sinners and bringing them home through whatever means necessary, even to the point of sending his own son to purchase them from the pit of hell. In all the ways that Job is like Jesus, we see how much that Job completely pales in comparison to Jesus completely pales in comparison to being our comforter, our savior, our king. And this makes Jesus shine even brighter. That even in our suffering, when we speak wrongly, evil about God, that we have a redeemer that calls us back, Jesus can say, I have never spoken evil in my suffering. He fulfilled the law for us. He suffered well when we couldn't. And he says, you can have my righteousness because of my death on the cross. And for the counselors who don't know what to say, for Elihu who didn't get it right all the time, for the friends who certainly didn't get it right, and you who won't be the effective counselor that you want to be, Jesus is sufficient in those moments. You will never go wrong in pointing people to Jesus. You will never go wrong in doing that saying, go to him. Say, go, he knows, he gets it, he's your rescuer. So let's go to him now, let's go to him together. So whether you are in suffering or speaking to those in suffering, look to Jesus. He is the comforter, he is the the wonderful counselor, he is the prince of peace, he is our mediator between God and man. So I appeal to you, sufferer and saint. I appeal to you, sinner and those who are stuck. Go to Jesus. Run to him. He is our ransom. To be the effective and gracious counselor, at the end of the day, you must know Jesus. You must know him. And you must make him known. So let's, let's pray together. Jesus, I'm so thankful for you. My heart is overjoyed at this morning just meditating on who you are, what you have done for broken, hurting people, stupid, uh, tongue-twisted comforters like myself how you are so superior to us and how you allow us to come to you no matter what condition that we are in no matter where we are at we can come to you and always have the open arms because of what you have done we are so thankful for you Jesus we are so thankful for your kindness for your 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 grace your generosity your mercy you are you are everything that we need May we never run to anything else. May we never run to our own sufficiency. May we never run to our own effectiveness. But would you equip us? Would you equip us to point us to you? Would you give us that burden? that? Would you, with, with, with the love of Christ, would your love just control us to know nothing except Christ and him crucified? May that be what is on our, may that be the lens that we look out of is, is you, Jesus. So Spirit, use us. We need the Spirit of the living God in us. We need you, Spirit. Lead us and guide us. Make much of Jesus like you always love to do. Make much of Jesus through us, in us, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.